Hello, I'm Pete Raby, CEO of the X4 Group, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. I'm a big believer, like many of you, that good leadership takes a hunger to learn and reflect. And when we open up about our own experiences, we give others permission to do the same. With me today is Miles Hunt, an entrepreneur, board advisor, and investor with over 30 years of experience building successful companies. Miles is the former CEO of Impresaria Group, a staffing company that he built to over 200 million pounds in revenues with operations in over 20 countries. Today, we're going to discuss the chapters of growth and how to scale a business. First of all, Miles, good morning. How are you today? And like all these things, um, it will be really fascinating to give a bit of insight into the different ways and different cultures that people go about doing things um, and the most common traits in those that people have done successfully over that time. So in that nice really easy to answer question yeah how's things and uh yeah where do you want to kick us off oh good thanks Pete, and thanks for the uh the invitation to uh come along and spend the morning with you uh here at uh, at x4 my background uh i'm a lawyer which forgive me it's like uh once you're a lawyer <laughs> you're, you're you're always a lawyer it's like being you know, in recovery from alcoholism you can never really stop from speaking in in in, in, in long sentences with with words of four syllables or more but but I gave that up uh, as solicitor almost 30 years ago. And after going to business school, then essentially have been fairly entrepreneurial since then. Entrepreneurial in the sense I've always sort of set up businesses and grown them, but very clear in actually making sure there's strong structures and building scale, hopefully with some sense of purpose and with an organization with capability of actually sort of you know, delivering on that. So, so absolutely always sort of followed my own path, but always with a sense of trying to be relatively professional I suppose that's the word in the way of growing a business the question that jumped out to me there was because you've uh, again uh, had a quite a wide range of different businesses that you've been involved in where does that thought process begin as to what are the right opportunities and what are the right time to do these things the analogy I'd, I'd draw is is unless you're your bill gates or your jeff bezos or maybe elon musk most people don't actually have a clear vision as they say this is what i'm going to do they start off either with a, a context they start working for a business and they see an opportunity to maybe go out and do their own thing based on what they know. Or in my case, I hadn't got a clue what to do. All I knew is I wanted to do my own thing. So so I set up an outsourced procurement consultancy, which is my first business, which was fairly successful um, in the uh, mid-90s because I think outsourcing was a relatively de rigueur and, 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 and also procurement was still uh, professionalizing. And that was my first first business. But the analogy I draw is a bit like a game of Monopoly. We all played Monopoly. You might start off with your boot or your top hat on the on the game uh, with no money other than what you get to start off with. And I had nothing to start with. And if you're lucky, you might get yourself onto Old Kent Road and somehow be able to go and sort of buy a house on Old Kent Road and avoid having to pay rent on Park Lane. But you have to be on the board with your boot or with your hat to be able to play that game. And if actually you are just doing the employment career, traditional career route, you're not even on the game. You're not playing. You're playing someone else's game. And that was actually what drove me, was to say, I just need to go and play the game. And it, it doesn't matter if you change your plan. As long as you're nimble and you learn quickly, you know, you adapt. And as long as you're on that board playing the game, then you can always change. And that, I remember my first business plan, I spent days and days pouring over to do. At the end of the day, I had to rip it up and start over to do something different. But the fact was, I actually was in the game. You know, I was, wasn't working for anyone else. I actually had to, we had to go out there and find another alternative plan. I think it's interesting, and I think it uh, yeah makes you certainly step back and think about things in that um, very uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> very uh, visual way, which for me is a visual learner miles. It's always mm-hmm. it's always a good way to do. Now, one of the things that I've enjoyed with the, doing the podcast in the last fifteen months or so 
has been the fact that virtually everyone that we've spoken to has been going through some kind of scaling. One of the questions I was looking forward to asking you about is, for me, your jobs is and your musks of this world, the 0.001% of leaders that actually do it get the vast majority of press coverage. Of course they do, because that's, uh, you know, that's the exciting stuff for everyone to be reading about. But the reality is you've also been involved in small and medium-sized uh, businesses for, uh, for a number of years. What have been some of the common traits that you've seen in the businesses that manage to scale versus perhaps those that haven't quite managed it? Yeah, and I think to put just a little bit more context there, yes. So, so Empresario, the business you mentioned that now, so probably from in the recruiting world, made my name, was um, with just two people um, backed in, in an office. It, one, it was a very decentralized structure. The strategy was to, to build a, a decentralized, multi-sector, multi-branded, business with a with a with a very small central operation and where management equity the sort of sharing of equity in each of the different businesses was actually at the forefront of, of, of the business model and so at one point at peak i think we had 75 different subsidiary companies each partly owned by management you know, around the world as i mentioned lots of different countries now of that given the fact you know given you know, it's 200 million when i when i left the business 200 million revenue that was just quite a few small companies and only a few larger ones and it's interesting although they're all broadly uh, successful. There was a real difference between those that sort of got to 25 employees. I was think, looking at scaling up. I think one of the easiest ways, the metric I always look at isn't the revenues or the gross margin or even the profit. Actually, it's really number of people tends to be a function of, of, the, of, of what constraints you might get because it's getting through the different stages of growth in terms of the, the infrastructure and the people you've got, which is, I think, was um, you know, really difficult. But there were some people who were able to break through from the, 25 people to the 50 to 100 and others who never got beyond 25 and some that struggled to get beyond 10. Therefore, we'll go back to your question. So what is it that actually distinguishes between those that can and those that can't? I wouldn't even say it's between can and can't. It's that those that want to, those that don't maybe, as well as the can and can't. Because I think the first starting point is, is it's not for everybody. And in fact, I remember one of you know, going back to business school, um, I remember one of the fascinating um, elements of the entrepreneurship program a module that they had there was with visiting speakers coming in and just talking about their own experiences um, and careers and you got the likes of the Bransons of the world coming in and talking about what they did and you had you know sort of very successful property developers or you know, various celebrities in one shape or form celebrity business people but they also had people who just had success in a relatively small way they'd set up a tool hire company in the in the southwest of England or they'd taken over a family business and they'd done or they just set up a microbrewery or, or and actually for some people scaling actually was something they weren't really that bothered in because actually what they wanted was to be able to in, to be independent to be in control of their own destiny perhaps to actually have a sort of a passive income that allowed them to do other things so it's not for everybody and there is undoubtedly as you know as we both know you know a number of massive challenges you got to go through as you change and scale a business uh, in terms of infrastructure investment and people and finance and all those things and for some people, that's just not for them. So one thing I did learn was that some people, it's in their DNA. They want to grow. Some people are actually motivated differently. And actually being that self-aware as to what it is that motivates you is the starting point. Because actually, there's no point saying, you must grow, you must scale. If actually the idea of having a nice regular income and not having to answer someone is actually what gets you out of bed, well, maybe that's what you should be looking to do. So if you then decide you want to scale, and I think there is undoubtedly a bet, one of the real benefits of going for focusing on scale is that a business is never steady state. It's either growing or it's in decline. 
And if it's in steady state, you're in danger of going one way or the other, depending on your, your approach. So, so I think there's some benefits in focus on scale because actually itself gives a sense of purpose. And purpose is important to any business. In every business, you've got to have a sense of what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it. To do it. So, so growth is, is a great starting point. We're going to grow a business, want to achieve something. What then I think distinguishes between those that succeed and those that don't is start off with its, its personality and you know, the charisma and you know, the personality traits of the leader, the entrepreneur, the person or people setting up the business in the first place because energy, enthusiasm and charisma and, you know, can drive any business to a certain level. You can drive just your own force of will to 15, 20 people. Absolutely no problem at all. You can possibly go beyond that. The problem then becomes is you're the single point of failure. You're the greatest risk because actually everything is dependent on you. You're the you're the you're the magician on that stage with all the with the with the bamboo poles and the spinning plates on top, spinning all those plates. And you know, as you spin more and more plates, you go, you know, you have to get ever more quick at doing it and you struggle. So it becomes it's a bit like an analogy of a you know, how fast can a, a racing car go? You get to the point where you know, 250 miles an hour is that, you know, every you know, extra um, thousand horsepower gets you only another mile an hour faster because you cannot physically, rules of physics don't allow it to go faster. And that's the same in the entrepreneurial model. If you don't then adapt, you get stuck. You get to a point where you can't grow anymore and you're, the risks come greater too. So, so the first thing is, yes, it helps to be entrepreneurial. It helps to be energetic and charismatic. But you then got to be able to adapt and start putting in place structure into a business and bring people around you and ensure that you actually, you know, you, you actually got the processes and the infrastructure to support and scale up. And so it doesn't become dependent on you as an individual. Two or three bits that jump out from, yeah, from that fascinating insight, Miles, is that leaders having awareness of themselves, I think is one of the least spoken about topics that gets written or spoken about or debated because actually... Without that knowledge, you're really, really going to struggle with uh, making the impact that you either want to make or don't want to make. And I, I wonder how you would, you know, you, you've you've got a person starting the business up now, or they've gone through a certain position. How how would you suggest that leaders can go about building that awareness to be part of their part of their strength as a leader? Because I think I'm I'm with you totally. Without it, I think you can really, really struggle. So how how does that get get well? Get I mean, the first thing is, is you know, some some levels you might say there is a benefit in being unself aware. You know, I think maybe so if you're a you know, on the autistic scale and actually you just got you know, tunnel vision. I mean, Elon Musk, I'll put maybe possibly in this yeah. category. Someone who says he's maybe I don't know if he's self aware. I couldn't tell, you, but don't know the guy. But you know, at the end of the day, he's just just focus tunnel vision to go and do something regardless you know just does it there's a benefit in that because actually maybe you just doesn't you, know, you, you, know, you don't lack something you know, lack self-confidence and any barriers that, you, that come up you just drive straight through them but i think the benefit of self-awareness which obviously comes with maturity and age it's so rare that you get it too, too early on in life it's a shame <laughs> um yeah i agree with it, that. Is, is that is that your understanding about what motivates you for a start and what interests you because if you haven't got if you don't focus on things you're passionate about or have interest in, then you're going to struggle to sustain any sense of energy in what you're doing. Um, and then also, to the extent, understanding where your weaknesses, if you're going to be sort of confident enough to talk about your own weaknesses and vulnerabilities are, and also what your strengths might be. Because I think one of the real tips I give to anybody listening to this is actually getting that to uh, not just awareness of, of what motivates you and what you want to achieve, but what those, you know, your fallibilities, what things you're not necessarily great at, allows you to then better plot what sort of foil you have to come in to go and work alongside you. So the most successful um, businesses I've seen tend to have been, over time, ones where the strengths 
of one member of a leadership team are offset by weaknesses, which are then are offset by someone else who's got sort of you know a counter a counterbalance in some shape or form. And often that's the case of the entrepreneurial leader with a strong finance person, the yin and yang. That's always I found quite often is the way that it tends to work. You know, one is that we must go and climb that mountain. Come on, troops, we're going to go and take that mountain regardless. And, well, the other guy is, or girl is, well, how about you thought about this and maybe think about doing this first? Logistics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, I'm totally with you. There were not many advantages to getting older, and I've got a big birthday coming up at the end of this year. But one of the things I couldn't agree with you anymore about is that I think uh, nicely surprising has been how much better your decision-making and context and perspective comes when you've got a few years under the belt, which has been a big part of my journey over the last 18 months. But one of the things I was I was keen to pick your brains on as well whilst you were here, Miles, is to go through how you recognize the various chapters you're in and how you because when you're you're starting and growing a business, it's all adrenaline. What can we bring in? Let's go, go, go. And it's just all hands to the pump and everyone's excited and it's getting going, mm. etc. How do founder-led businesses that are doing the scaling up and that crazy journey in the early few years of it, how can they best appreciate the chapter they're in right now? And and, and, and what have you seen, again, businesses doing things well and businesses not doing so things well? So it's easy to say with the benefit of hindsight, but the reality is I went through exactly that same sort of incremental uh, evolutionary approach of, you know, just go for it. Oh, my God, I've got to do this. And you, you learn as you go along. You just try to avoid making some mistakes. Well, so the first thing, if I say that my build, building blocks to be successful would be, and this is a combination of a bit of hindsight and also what worked at the time. So the first thing is is being clear as to what you want to be achieving. There's a, if there's a tip that I give, and I'm, I'm digressing, I'm just like in a roundabout route, I'm going to go answer this question. <laughs> but there's a tip there's a, I'll, I'll give on, on, on the outset. I remember, again, it was a business school, and there's a, a guy there who, who told me this, the law of retrospection, the idea that you know, as an individual, what you want to be doing in life, let alone in business, is is projecting forward really meditatively, really concentrating on waking up in the morning 20 years from now, but visualizing you know, where you wake up, the house you're in, who you're maybe waking up next to. Are you in a town or in the country? Do you go downstairs to breakfast or go to you know, jump in the car to go to work? Or you know, which country are you in? You know, what, you know, what's life you're leading and what actually inspires you to, to 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 enjoy your day now it's interesting everyone will have different views on that but I, i'd say that if you can really start to visualize financial status uh the extent to which you're stimulated by you know sort of work or non-work activities think all these things you start thinking that through and whilst it may not come to pass and maybe that you might sh- shift over time your what you want to achieve by visualizing it and then working backwards you then see the steps that you need to be taking to get to that point. And this is what certainly all the sports coaches who use visualization as a technique with athletics and other sports, they just say, you know, if, if at the end of the day you can actually visualize that gold medal ceremony at the next Olympics, working back from it, you're much, much more likely to have a chance of achieving because you know what you're trying to achieve and what you need to be doing to get there. And in business, I think it's something similar. What you don't know, you don't know. You don't know necessarily some of the challenges you're going to face, some of the directions you might follow. But if you've got some sense of what that might look like and what it might mean to you personally and how that actually links to your own broader life goals, I think that's the first first point. That's a really good start. Now, if you don't know where you're starting and where you're going to, it's very difficult to actually get any sense of direction. So that's the first thing. But going back to your question about, you know, so therefore, what would you, um, would you would I've learned and what I would suggest people want to think about, one of the best decisions I made very early on 
maybe appreciating the fact that I was raw and entrepreneurial but didn't have the experience was to seek mentors. So both the two first companies that I set up of uh, scale, I sought out and was fortunate enough to persuade successful people of an elder generation who have been massively successful themselves just to go and buy into me as an individual and what I was trying to achieve. And the help that gave me in just navigating some of the, the bear traps that you can sort of, you know, suddenly you can, you can find yourself facing, I think it saved me a huge amount of money and accelerated my learning, not just in how to run a business, but how to conduct myself as a person. Because that's the other thing, I think, when it comes to the success that you find you, you might get, it's not just authenticity in leadership. It's actually doing the right things and behaving in the right way. A reputation is far more a valuable commodity than thing, any, any, any money that you might make. But you know, once you lose it, you've never always lost it. The next is, um, I think I mentioned already, is, is finding people, the foil, to offset whatever you don't have in terms of skills and do that early on. You know, it may be that there's an element of sharing in some of the upsides and proceeds, the proceeds of success and growth, but, but you, know, you need to be looking at, not, don't necessarily do it on your own. Doing it on your own is quite lonely and you will make some mistakes. The next is, is then probably going back to sort of the, the theory of management and growing and you know, scaling a business. And now, again, there's a lots of literature. We'll come on to maybe some books to recommend or things that I find useful. But there are certainly, you know, there are, there are ways to do it. And if you read that and you get yourself you know, up to speed on, on the methodology, then you get to certain points being, ah, oh, I've reached this point in my growth cycle. I need to be thinking about this and, and, and actually giving it some thought in advance, premeditated, then it helps. Because when it comes to the various, the various stages of growth, it's never linear. And one of the first, the first challenges people face is that they, they need to, once they've got the entrepreneurial phase, start putting in systems and processes that actually support the business. They have to be able to manage cash. Generally, it's finance and financial management is the first one whatever it might be, but you essentially have to have the processes in place to allow you to free up to actually go and start moving again. Because if you don't, you're firefighting and you're actually dealing with just all, the, all the challenges associated without having structure in your business. And those companies that actually grow the fastest, the ones that are always planning several steps in advance, what they're going to be reaching that, 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 sort of, that next barrier to growth. Absolutely. Um, now, one of the things that I'd be also here to, you know, we're sat here today, we're at 210 people as a business. People at the, at the very beginning of that major growth journey, or they're just assembling their team, they're kind of, they've got an idea they're excited about. What would be the most practical advice that you could give to a listener who is just at the very beginning of that major growth journey? Okay, so everyone I'm sure has seen the TED Talks, read the book, Simon Sinek's you know, The Purpose and the Why. You know, um, I think that sense of purpose um, to anyone, anyone you're looking to join you as a, as a team leader or as a manager or a leader of business, they might be interested in how much you can be paid and of course at the end of the day the, the mortgage or the rent's got to be paid and they, they, they want to know they're being valued and that's reflected in what they're being paid and they want to know about the office environment where they're going to work but more important i think particularly now and particularly over increasingly the last 20 years there is a sense of well what's what's the what's the broader purpose what are we trying to achieve here do i sort of align with my own personal ambitions and and actually understanding that and being able to articulate that in a way that's beyond we've got a sales target and we've got to hit this and your job is to do that. I think that's really important. And I think you can be found in, in any business if you search long and hard for it. I think that it's a societal impact is, is, is not to be understated and should be at the forefront of everything we talk about in this business. Um, but any company, you've got to have that sense of mission that people can buy into. Um, I go beyond that, but you know, I'd say a philosophy, um, you know, values, uh, that, that people to espouse values, but you know, values stem from some sense of 
philosophical grounding, which I think has to be a bit authentic, has to be um, very much grounded in, in the individual personality and the culture of the created by the individuals who start that business. But I think that anyone who underestimates the power of that as a glue to bind people together and a, a magnet to attract people and as a way, as an incentive to achieve what you want to achieve, I just wouldn't, wouldn't estimate that at all. So focusing on that and focusing on, on, on living those values and looking at that philosophy, philosophy and challenging the behaviors and ensuring that that's embedded in the business is really critical. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Repeat, repeat, repeat once you've found out yeah, the thing yeah. that kind of uh, sits with everyone as well. Because as you say, that has the great uh, the great power of being the glue that joins everything together and, yeah. and done in the right way. So you, you've mentioned a couple of bits and pieces so far in relation to personal methodologies. And I'm sure stepping back and looking at that in, in, in time away from the office, I think can be a very, very useful thing as well as that those all important visionary related conversations. I think it's, uh, uh, again, something that we didn't do well enough for, for, for too long where you're just in the office all day, every day, five days a week. And obviously the modern world has made everyone think about how do we best use the office space, but how do we best use the non-office space as well? And I think uh, the freedom of what that allows the, the, the mind to do is, um, is, is, is can be quite a powerful thing. Um, I'd be interested, but I'm certainly going to be looking up retrospection and, and, and books and reading on that. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of listening to bits and pieces when I'm doing my biking commute, um, as, as, as listeners all know. Um, but I'd be really fascinated to, if there was, if there was one book um, or, or podcast or movie that you'd recommend that you've taken some long-lasting learns from, would there be one that you'd pinpoint? I always think that, say, stories and narrative, storytelling is one of the greatest ways to get across secrets of success. In terms of methodology and, and actually you know, the how-to, you don't have to necessarily go to business school and spend a fortune on, on, on understanding you know, strategic management, operational management, and you know, all that sort of stuff uh, to actually get... Uh, some really good pillars to build on it to build on uh, 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 and build a business around. I really rate, and uh, I've been to I've spoken to I've seen him a couple of times in person and spent some time with him. The chap of Vern Harmish, who has his own sort of gazelles sort of ecosystem, and he does workshops and and uh, and scaling up is his thing. And his two books start with the, the Rockefeller Habits and and Scaling Up. They're very short. They're a slight bluff your way through how to build a business, but they do actually have some really good nuggets in there. And if you if you buy into that and you want to see something that really works, and it's definitely worked. I've seen it work in person. I've seen it being applied uh, in businesses that I've been involved in. Then those are two I'd really recommend as a how-to. Awesome. Yeah, I, I certainly am a big fan of the um, Rock, Rockefeller methodology and uh, like all these things, making sure that there's a – once in a while, step back and looking at the, the, the bigger ticket questions in relation yeah. to an actually tried and tested methodology, I think is, again, is something I wish I'd have done yeah. a few years before. And in terms of podcasts, I mean, as I could have added in the books, but I always found one of the most recent, um, last 20, 25 years, the advance in social science, and particularly when it comes to behavioral economics and there, I found fascinated Daniel Kahneman, who's a psychologist, got a Nobel Prize mm -hmm. for economics, was absolutely brilliant. But, um, you know, you can read the books on, on those guys, but there's actually a good podcast called Think with Pinker on BBC Sounds. Um, Stephen Pinker, who's a behavioral psychologist, and uh, he got he's got some really interesting people on his podcast that come in, and 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 I think the reason why I'm fast fascinated by social science and some of the stuff that they talk about is that one of the things that we'll all get confronted by in life, but also when you're building a business, is that seemingly intractable problem. How the hell do I solve that? It could be an individual that's causing an issue. It could be a performance thing, and you can't for life of you think how to solve it. And the joy about sort of getting you know, those guys is, is the lateral thought. Is the, I mean, one tip I give is, is, is when you're stuck like that, is go back to the problem and try and redefine it and look at it from a different angle. 
And it's quite interesting how you come to a different conclusion or suddenly you'll get in the middle of the night. So that's so suddenly that light bulb moment. Actually, I've looked at this completely differently. I should be doing something else. No, I love it. Uh, it's, um, I feel like I've just said my uh, my reading and listening list extended by several several weeks and hours. So um, I'm, I'm going to be checking those bits and yeah. pieces out. But um, Miles, thanks so much for coming in and sharing your experience and your leadership learns with us today. Um, I'm sure there'll be an awful lot that's resonated with the listeners, and like me, they'll be taking away some valuable ideas. Thanks everyone for listening. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, please give a five star rating and share with others in your network. Thanks so much, Miles, for coming in. Thanks, Pete. 